Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, Dr Gordon de Brower, who is the president of IPA National, hosts a conversation about working across jurisdictions on environmental policy and regulation. His guests are Kate Lynch and Warwick McGrath, and it's a fascinating conversation. The episode begins with Dr. Gordon Debrow. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Work With Purpose. My name is Gordon Debrow. I'm the National President of IPA and your host for this episode. And I begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting. And I'm in Canberra today, so it's the Ngunnawal people. And pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And deeply acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Environment, climate and waste involve all three levels of government in Australia. And they've got deep interests from the community, from business, not-for-profit, academia, and there are clear domestic and international dimensions as well. So the challenges are gargantuan, the issues are complex, and in fact, the environment is precious. And they're so big that they're too big to tackle from in silos only. So today, uh, we're going to explore collaboration across jurisdictions on environment policy and regulation. And it's nice that we're doing our recording, at least, on Earth Day. I'd like to welcome our two speakers. Uh, first, Kate Lynch, who heads the Australian Government's Environment Protection Division in the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment. Kate leads the development and implementation of a wide range of national policy program and regulatory functions relating to product stewardship, industrial chemicals, waste and recycling, synthetic greenhouse gases and air quality. Over the past two decades, Kate's worked within the Australian and Queensland public sectors to design and deliver various initiatives relating to environment protection, energy efficiency, renewable energy, taxation, financial markets, regulatory efficiency, urban policy and planning. Welcome, Kate. Thanks very much, Gordon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Uh, Our next guest is Warwick McGrath. Warwick is the Director at the Victoria Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. He has a wealth of experience in regulatory design and policy and collaborating with other jurisdictions on environment policy and regulatory matters. Welcome, Warwick. Thank you, Gordon. Good to be here. It's great. Um, So as we start the conversation, I'd also like to note that this episode is a collaboration between IPA Victoria's Young IPA Network and IPA ACT's Future Leaders Committee. Both groups provide a voice and visibility for young professionals within the IPA community and the broader public sector and the opportunity to connect, be inspired and inspire and grow. So let's start. And why don't we start with collaboration? And and we'll start with you, Kate. Um, Just just how important is collaborating across government with with other departments and agencies in developing uh, connected and holistic responses? And, And maybe if you can emphasise the need or, or, or where you see that example of connected and holistic responses between governments. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. So I, I think this is something that applies right across all, all public sector work, you know, without a doubt. But um, it, it's interesting that we're talking about environmental policy specifically today because 
I think the need for collaboration is even more evident when it comes to the environment. Um, you know, when we think about the, the challenges that we were, you know, charged with, with developing solutions for and implementing solutions for, they really don't uh, stop at administrative boundaries. And so, you know, the, the, the issues that, that um, we grapple with in terms of, you know, maintaining and, and uh, fostering environmental health um, are, you know, across jurisdiction, they're, they're, you know, diffuse right throughout the environment that, in which we're living. And, um, and so it just doesn't make sense for us to be um, operating and, and living globally, but, but, you know, regulating in silos locally. Um, I think we see the same thing in terms of, you know, the interaction with business. So a lot of our work in environment protection, for example, is about preventing uh, harm to the environment that can be caused by business activities. And businesses, of course, are operating, you know, internationally, globally, you know, and certainly across, across our, our, administrative, our administrative boundaries. So um, I think uh, without collaboration, what's really at risk is, you know, that, that efficiency in all of our activities because... Um, you know, we, we're duplicating effort, we're, we're causing inconsistencies and a lot of additional burden uh, when it comes to uh, those everyday activities that, that people are, you know, undertaking in their lives. Um, some, of the, some of these examples are, you know, particularly evident when we're talking about things like contamination uh, and, and there's been some fabulous examples of, of collaborative work across levels of government in Australia uh, in, in more effectively managing significant contamination and I'd say, generally speaking, environment regulators uh, in the public sector um, collaborate extremely well and have a long history of, of working together. So, yeah, I would certainly say that, um, you know, collaboration is part and parcel of the work that we do in the environment space. And, and over the course of my career, I've certainly seen that as a real strength uh, in the environmental policy space um, and possibly stronger than in a number of other portfolios, you know, that I've worked that's great. We'll come back to some of those. Uh, uh, Warwick, uh, your, your views? Environmental regulators kind of um, need to work together for often moral support or uh, other other reasons. I think that um, a more connected and collaborative approach is leading to better outcomes is kind of a truism in many ways that it's... it's, it's um, it's self-defining in that it's obvious to to anyone that the more um, information flow there are across jurisdictions, um, uh, both formally and informally, is always going to lead to a better outcome. I'm a fan that triangulating any decision is always going to um, lead to a better outcome. And there's plenty of examples. I my my work is primarily in the biodiversity space, but um, you know, a very recent example would be we've started working with New South. I'm like we post the 1920 bushfires on the east coast, um, which um, I worked through. Um, we um, have since, I guess, developed uh, better mechanisms uh, nationally, but also um, between Victoria and New South Wales around. Um, establishing some more, um, I guess, insurance populations of particular species that go across both jurisdictions along the East Coast. Um, and that's critical because um, uh, 
they won't survive without those insurance populations and, and it's critical both states work together on establishing those. Um, the example we use is the eastern bristlebird, which we went in and um, kind of had to grab some ahead of the fire front in Victoria and put them in the zoo for a while and then um, uh, re-release them. But we've also established a colony now, another colony in, in Victoria um, from uh, animals from New South Wales. So um, it, it's incredibly important and it kind of makes your life easier, to be honest. Yeah, that's great. I, I think it really highlights that uh, cooperation uh, – is not just between the Commonwealth and state, it's also between states because your, your protected communities are cross borders and so cohesion, that's a really nice point, Warwick. Maybe maybe you can dive into some of the features that uh, show or, or, or there for successful collaboration and, and why don't we talk about the uh, that in the context of the Commonwealth and state, but both the Commonwealth yep. and states have constitutional responsibilities around the environment and they've got different foundations. But can you talk a bit about what what works or what are the features or the characteristics of making that collaboration work between the Commonwealth and the state or territory? And maybe if you've got an example in mind between the Commonwealth and the state. Um, Warwick, I'll, I'll ask you. No worries. Um, I'm like the, I think the, the critical... Um, Factors. I mean, it ultimately all comes down to trust and the relationships that you establish between um, people um, working um, between the Commonwealth and the state. I've had long-standing um, working relationships with um, Commonwealth public servants. I enjoy their um, advice um, and I enjoy the debate and I enjoy their company. And um, it again. Um, uh, can only serve to make our lives and our jobs easier by having those relationships. Again, I would say that in in the in the regulatory space, it is you know it does take a particular type of person to um, play the long game in a regulatory role. So um, moral support's always useful, um, but more specifically, Mike, I think that the important things. Are, you really want to be clear about what role you're playing um, in relationship to the other actor, I guess. In and an example I can use, um, we undertook a um, very large land use planning exercise around Melbourne called Melbourne at 5 million and we relied upon the EPBC Act to um, provide um, land supply for Melbourne's housing for the next kind of 40 years. It was an extremely complicated, complex project. And um, the way that we um, really got that, got through that was a, a shared commitment to kind of not allowing issues to go unresolved. Um, uh, the, the Commonwealth was a regulator in, in that, in that space and the state was in effect a proponent, but um I think the discipline around keeping on asking those questions until there's a shared understanding across all aspects was was critical, um, and the the stakes are too high to delay resolution in in most cases. I I reckon that's really interesting. Can you so in terms of not letting issues uh, not not be or remain unresolved? <laughs> how did you do that? Did you, face to face? 
you, you yeah, lots of meetings, lots of conversations. And this was a process over three to four years. Um, and 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 thankfully, we had mostly the same people in place. So over that, you know, over that period of time, I guess there was a high level of trust. Um, it's a high level of transparency and openness about information um, flows, around standards of information, around where... Um, things needed to be uh, clarified or further information required. There was no, um, uh, there were no egos around at the table. Um, I, I guess we, we, we knew we were doing something quite unique and um, it held a bit of risk with it. Um, uh, but it was absolutely the best outcome um, for both the environment and, and the, you know, and, and Victoria's growth, and I absolutely, you know, there's, there's no doubt it was a far better outcome by doing it as a joined up process. Did you ever use facilitators, or did you sometimes take the conversation to be just an informal chat about an issue rather than a, a negotiation? Oh, there were lots of informal chats. Yes, um, I think probably the most work we did were those informal um, uh, discussions, um, uh, and you know. It wasn't always um, uh, there were points of difference, that's for sure. Um, uh, but it was, it was always um, I'm like you just your life's just not going to be good if you're, if you're uncivil to people. And um, I think you can get through so much um, uh, more if you are civil. I'm a big believer in um, that, and um, uh, it helps that people like each other so you know you need to work that pretty hard yeah that's great Kate? <laughs> i couldn't agree more with uh, with everything that warwick suggested actually a couple of other things that that occur to me i think about what what really drives that sort of successful collaboration um i'd add in their problem definition so I think, I think there is a bit of a tendency, you know, particularly on environmental policy issues where it's such a complex challenge that sometimes we can spend a lot of time collaborating, trying to fix a problem that we don't really, you know, understand um, or we haven't actually defined and scoped what we, what we want to try to resolve um, at that point in time. And that can be inefficient, you know, at the best of times and it can be incre incredibly frustrating at the worst of times. Um, but, but really, you know, taking that time at, at the outset to, to narrow that down uh, and, and be quite, you know, ruthless about, yeah, but what is, what is the specific problem? Let, let's try and all agree that. Um, and then I think, you know, sharing and, and you know, tapping into it, whatever data and evidence we can get is really important. And, um, and we've seen some fantastic, uh, some fantastic, you know, really ambitious environmental policy outcomes achieved in recent years, I think, off the basis of, you know, um, strong evidence and where that's gathered, you know, jointly and where we're sharing information and data and, uh, and everybody's sort of operating from that same um, you're talking from the same page, essentially, then it, it just makes it so much easier, I think, to identify, you know, our potential solutions that we can work toward. Um, I, I really uh, absolutely agree with Warwick's uh, comments here about, you know, um, understanding and respecting the roles that we all play in, in a collaborative process, particularly between, you know, different levels of government. It's not only the constitutional sort of differentiation that you referred to, Gordon, but I think it's also the roles that we play as officials as opposed to the roles that our ministerial masters will be playing. And, and I've had some really frank 
and very constructive, useful conversations with colleagues where we've, you know, it's often good just to put that on the table. It's the elephant in the room often, but just to say, look, we don't know ultimately what our uh, political masters will decide or what they might announce or not. That's kind of outside of our control. But this is, this is the scope in which we're working. And as professionals all within the public sector, there's so much that we can collaborate on and so much information we can share and we can make some, such headway, even if ultimately there's a difference of opinion between our governments. So I'd definitely add, add that one in there. And um, that, that trust issue is, is fundamental. It, Warwick's already mentioned it. Um, and I would just add that it, I do agree it takes time. It takes time to build that. And it can be difficult if there's a lot of churn, a lot of turnover between um, staffing in, in different agencies over time, particularly when it's a really long, a long game that you're playing. Um, we had um, a, an example of this um, come to fruition in the last um, year, or, year or two in the industrial chemicals space, where actually, you know, it really came off the back of more than a decade of concerted effort working, you know, across all of Australia's states and territories about you know, trying to find more effective ways of managing industrial chemicals, trying to be more consistent, bring a little bit more uh, harmonisation in the way that we regulate them um, and looking specifically at, you know, how do we better manage the environmental impact of industrial chemicals. So, um, you know, and it was fantastic to eventually get that to the point where there's, you know, national legislation in place and now it will be given effect through, you know, state and territory regulation. So, um, yeah, there's lots of great examples, but I think there's some of the characteristics I'd draw out. That's fantastic uh, for, for both. Uh, uh, very rich and uh, very practical. I guess when I was in this space, uh, Secretary of, of Environment, I, I would have conversations with secretaries from state and territory departments, precisely with the view that uh, sometimes we need to have a, an informal chat and we can go off, off record and completely loyal to our jurisdiction but we can have jurisdictional and political differences and different emphases, and how do we work to find solutions through that of not amplifying problems, but actually trying to find a common base. And, and I think we had a common motivation for that. And that is the role of officials. Uh, so I, I think what you both said, frankly, is spot on and, and a great example on leadership for, for people. So you've been talking about uh, state and Commonwealth. Uh, what, what about local government? Where do you see local government fitting into to this, and how, how does what role does it play? And, and Kate, yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, local local government plays such a, a fundamental role at the end of the day in terms of um, you know taking and, and managing practical action uh, that impacts the, the health of the environment. So, uh, they absolutely have an important role to play. Um, what I would uh, also point to is that you know the feedback that that local councils can provide to um, other levels of government about, you know, not only what the community's attitudes and views are or what the emerging issues uh, in terms of environmental health or concerns or, or interests are, uh, is really, really critical. It's, it's a key component of our intelligence, I think, when we are thinking about, um, you know, state or, or federal uh, environmental policy positions. But also that feedback that, that we hear from local governments about the practical, you know, implementation challenges that they face. So, you know, local, local authorities operate within the, the frameworks that we set in place um, uh, at the, you know, national and the, the state or territory level. And um, 
it's often once it's been given effect that you know some of the some of the glitches, some of the the, the issues, the impracticalities perhaps of of those policies or those programs or those you know um, uh, regulations becomes apparent and. Uh, it's really important and really worthwhile, actually, he, you know, having those conversations with colleagues in local government who can point that out and say, this is actually how it's working in practice and, and this is this is what we're struggling with. And more, more to that same point, I think the more we can bring local governments into the design of, of those systems, those, you know, regulations or the, the, the program that we might be delivering, um, the better, because they will bring that, you know, different, very practical, very... Um, real perspective of, you know, how this will actually work and, and what can be done to make it much more effective. Before we go to Warwick, just on that, uh, co-design is really essential and it's, it's a basic, it's just a basic design feature. But for the Commonwealth, Commonwealth doesn't think of state or local government as much as states do, I, I, I'd guess, and maybe we'll test this with Warwick. But do you have to work with your colleagues to say, Oh, we really need to talk to, to local government about this. Or how, what are you? What are your mechanisms to talk to local government or or hear their views? Yeah, it's a, it is a really interesting question, and and I guess my personal observation from from experience of working on different things over the years would be that it's sort of horses for courses. So in some cases, local governments have actually been the primary mechanism that the Commonwealth has used. Um, you know, obviously we've we've you know looped in the state or territory uh, representatives at the same time, but it's really that that intel on the ground. And uh, some of those things evolve around more probably in that urban policy space, looking at some of those long-term environmental issues and other social and economic issues. A, a good example of that is the in the city space over the last few years where there's been, you know, um, efforts to put in place things like city deals where it's, it's quite deliberately three tiers of government, you know, collaborating yeah. around a particular location. Um, in other instances, you know, we, we are quite deliberately working with the state or territory to deliver something and, um, and can be a little bit more hands-off. Um, and I think uh, in those instances, you know, it's... Um, it's probably more about that just general engagement uh, with local councils that we try to do early on, make sure that we understand the ramifications of what it is we're, we're developing or designing. Um, but then perhaps it's, it is, you know, a decision is taken at some point that we will work through the states and territories. And, yes, sometimes we do actually have to kind of, um, yeah, ask gently to, to involve local governments and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the reverse is probably true. Thanks. What, Warwick, uh, how do you see local government? Um, I I have so much respect for anyone who can stand on a planning counter in a local government office um, all day and deal with the inquiries that um, uh, come in um, uh, relentlessly. So, and look, we've worked a lot with local government over the years. Um, they're a critical implementation partner for us. Um, the the co-design aspect is is incredibly important. Often they are the holders of the planning scheme or or the equivalent across the state um so the influence can be quite far-reaching as well it's it's not it's not that they're not influential they absolutely are and and can often be a good reflection of um nuances between communities as well so i think that you know that there are absolutely differences in values between uh, communities across states and and, and, and you know, within, and, and local governments are a really good way to get a handle on 
on those and how you might need to use a bit of nuance to get either a message through to that community or or, or partnership um, with that community. And you know, they're they're pretty wonderful people. I'm like, that's it's hard. It's pretty hard work. Um, and you know, they all seem pretty sane. So um, I, 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 you know, I have a lot of. A lot of respect for planners in particular. I think they're on a hiding to nothing most of the time. It's a very difficult job. So um, my hat goes out to them. And um, like I said, we we, uh, we uh, hold that um, relationship very dearly. Okay, no, well, one thing I just would ch- chime in on, um, Gordon, I think um, – it, it's really easy for us to to also talk about you know what we where we need to to bring local local governments into a policy process or something that we have initiated. But I will say that on lots of occasions, particularly in Australia, you know we've got really forward leaning local governments, and there's yes. been heaps yeah. of instances where um, you know within the Commonwealth government we're actually looking at the local governments to see you know this sort of pushing the boundary. Uh, and seeing some great examples of innovation, and um, and then you know it, we're in the reverse uh, position where we're reaching out and asking them, you know, how is this working? Do you think it could be scaled up? Um, what's you know, um, what made you you know take this particular risk? Because I think they're they're smaller, they're more agile, um, and and often really groundbreaking. Yeah. And they will always tell you when it's not working, which is good. Yeah. yeah. So th- this uh, reflection on on relationships between jurisdictions. Um, does it does it spill over into other managing other issues or helping you with other problems lot like like disaster when disasters happen uh, work um, yeah absolutely I think the uh, I'm like, uh, in an emergency or, or in prepare ev- both everyone's involved you know it, it it's all hands on deck and and I think that um, the the putting aside, you know, this, the, the the formal systems that kick in, um, kick into place when emergencies are declared. Um, um, like most of my work has been in um, wildlife welfare during emergencies, which is an incredibly um, uh, and increasingly so emotive um, issue that a lot of people um, want to get in. Involved in, um, uh, and uh, having everyone on the same page around things like uh, safety of volunteers, access to sites, um, what is a what is the appropriate and proportionate response to something like a you know the the devastating fires of nineteen twenty where literally millions of hectares were burnt in a you know over a month it. It is a really difficult question about how do you, what is the, what's the proportionate response there, um, in terms of things like wildlife welfare. But we've relied on all levels of government and 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 a lot of the community in terms of um, being able to deploy people because, you know, they, these are difficult jobs and they and a day can feel like a week. Um, and so being able to, and look, we were having regular, um, um, I guess, for those fire-affected states, we were having regular weekly catch-ups during the, that period just so we could support each other because it is a difficult job um, and and 
give a heads up to each other about what jurisdictions were dealing with in terms of um, what was happening on the ground or often we we're dealing with the same national stakeholder as well um, so that's always useful to at least ensure that we're, um, we're we're sending out the same messages in terms of the importance or the um, relative importance of things if that makes sense hopefully does, that yeah. makes sense Okay. Yeah, um, I would. Um, I don't have a huge amount of personal experience in this space. Um, certainly not at the sort of you know major landscape disaster management um, level. But uh, I think one thing that we probably all have observed is that you know confusion just adds to the burden of a natural disaster. Um, and so, you know, relying on those natural, uh, those existing networks and those trusted relationships um, can only be really beneficial. And I've certainly seen it in instances where something that's perhaps not a, you know, a national level emergency, but where something has emerged and it's time critical and it's really sensitive, having the ability to kind of pick up the phone and talk to your existing contact, someone that you trust and you've worked with and you know um, in a, another jurisdiction is, is just incredibly valuable and you can shortcut, you know, hours and days and even weeks of, of you know, frantic work and running around just by, you know, tapping into those collaborative networks, I think. Yeah, that's great. Can I shift a, a little bit now to think around um, how do you engage with uh, others to get them to take environmental aspects seriously? How do you persuade other people to include environment or think about environment in a sustainable way in decision-making? And, and maybe just a prompt on that is just the, we've got so much data, the technology gives us so much data now, and, and how can you bring data and, and evidence more generally into decision-making of, of others? Maybe it'll just quickly okay yeah yeah um look i think this is the fundamental challenge um that we face uh, working in environmental policy is that um we i think that data is a key one you know the more that we can unearth um not only specific information and data to help fill gaps um but the more that we can start sort of try to translate that into a context that's meaningful for the other perspective is really, really important. So I think here, you know, um, thinking about, you know, case studies where we can demonstrate that there's genuinely a win-win opportunity. There's, I think there's a bit of a perception sometimes that environmental issues are contentious. And so it's an either or, you know, you're either going to progress an economic outcome or you're going to progress an environmental outcome. And so much of the time, that's not the case. There's so much that we can do that would actually be beneficial environmentally as well as achieving our other goals and objectives. And so part of it is visibility. You know, we've got to promote um, these opportunities. We've got to kind of find them. Part of it is visibility of people who, who understand and who've worked in environmental spaces, you know, moving through other parts of our public sector um, and sharing that insight. I think, yeah, there's, there's, lot, there's a lot that we can do, but it is, uh, it's an ongoing challenge. Warwick? Yeah, I think the um, well, look. I would echo um, the sentiments around the the use of science and data. It's always our 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 bedrock. I would add though that I think um, it's important to acknowledge that there's another layer of of, of values that um, uh, need to come in. You need to consider those. So, either in policy development or or in implementation, you really do ignore those things at your peril. Um, it's not something that you would be traditionally trained in. I, I guess as a as a legal practitioner or or, or a scientist, but um, 
you can't leapfrog values um, and, and you need to deal with them at this and you can hold both things in your head at the same time um, uh, both the science and acknowledging that that regardless of um, uh, evidence people's values will just as much drive them and their decisions and so being able to find a way to tap into those values through things like storytelling um you know it, it's and then trust it's 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 critical it's it is a long game though and, and um i it, environmental policy in particular i think is can be a particularly long game sometimes um yes that would i think i yeah. i think i answered that question yeah <laughs> I say I, I, my own experience on this one was if you want if you go to the cabinet and you want them to make a, a decision around an environment issue, you have to give them a solution as well for an economics. It's got to have an economic yep. solution and a social solution, and that if you're working with your colleagues to build that up, then actually you're more, much more likely to get the environmental outcome that you're after. Uh, and it's it's there. It's not they're not alternatives. Not binary. Can you, have you got any reflections for, for younger people, for young leaders, when they think around environment or climate issues? What would be your bit of advice to them on thinking around that? And maybe also then a reflection of how this has changed your life or been important to you. But what would you say to them about uh, around environment and climate, given all the challenges that we face? Warwick? Um, I think uh, that... It's, well, it's incredibly rewarding because um, I think sometimes the the higher the bar, when you do finally jump over it, it's incredibly satisfying and incredibly rewarding. Um, I think, you know, if I was to offer any advice or things I've learnt is that, you know, that um, it is a long game. You, you should never assume motive um uh from stakeholders um it's it's a terrible thing to do um you should generally seek to understand um where they're coming from you know leading with empathy those types of things um will always stand you in good stead um and i think you know always ask lots of questions and be quiet when people are speaking to you um would be my um (laughs) my advice (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I um, look. I I struggled, frankly, um, in some of the early years of my career working on environmental policy issues, and it was, I think, ultimately because you know, as as Warwick's just described, you know, values play such a huge part in our role, and I think as public servants, you know, a lot of us who are who feel sort of called to this vocation, um, it's a core part of who we are. And and I did find in my younger years that sometimes it was a bit disheartening. You know, it was disheartening to see, you know, some of the trends in what's been going on uh, in the environment in Australia over the past several, you know, decades. And um, it can be a lot of bad news. What I what I have learnt to do is as part of, you know, just generally building that, that resilience and building my skill set and my experience, I think, is is realise the importance of optimism, first and foremost. I think it, it, it's so important to keep to keep trying. And, of course, the more you see some of these great examples that we've talked about today, you know, the more that becomes, you know, just part and parcel of tackling any new challenge. It's like, oh, gosh, this seems like it's impossible, but no, we've done something impossible before, so we, we'll be able to do this again. 
Um, but I have also found that uh, it's, it's been incredibly helpful to me to learn how to understand those different perspectives. So, you know, Warwick talked about not, not uh, sort of assuming someone's motives. I think learning more about the way that different, different people think the, you know, the world view that they bring to an issue is just really important. And, um, yeah, so something that I've personally done is, is try to see that firsthand, you know, try to, try to get some different experience over the course of my career, um, you know, spend time working with different policy topics or, or working on different issues, um, you know, meet and, and form networks with people, you know, who don't come from that same uh, area of training and who don't have the same worldview that I do. Uh, and it has made it much easier for me to be influential at the end of the day, I think. You know, it does impact us when we can speak the same language as someone. So, yeah, I, um, I, would, I would encourage people to sort of, yeah, really look for those opportunities to, to try new things, to build a really broad and diverse network of, of, of contacts in your professional life uh, and, yeah, hold on to optimism and, you know, remember that you can actually make a difference. There's, there's so many fabulous examples where we can point to really wonderful things occurring in terms of environmental outcomes um, that have been driven by the public sector. That's fantastic. Add to that that there can be immense satisfaction in pride in the way that you do your work, quite apart from the outcomes that you might be um, seeking. That you know, it, this work is never linear; it's always backwards and forwards and sideways and every other way. Um, so yes, I, I there can be a lot of satisfaction from your your own personal integrity in the way you conduct yourself and do work. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so th thank you. Uh, it's been very, frankly, very substantive, very inspiring but, and very practical. Uh, and I, I think that's um, – you can change the world in, in, and that's when you work in an environment, you are changing the world and that, that's a really good thing. And you've, you've really delved into how to do that well uh, and, and have impact. So th thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Warwick and Kate, for today. And then I think we'll bring this uh, podcast to a close then. Uh, so thank you to IPA Victoria's Young IPA Network and IPA ACT's Future Leaders Committee for partnering uh, on this episode of Bringing It to Life. And truth is, more power to your arm. You know, the future belongs to the young. Uh, so change Indeed. the world and, and do it the way uh, Kate and Warwick said. So thank you very much, <laughs> listeners, and goodbye for now. Thank you. Bye, everyone. So there you go. What a great conversation. And once again, just highlighting just how fortunate we are to have such clever people working in public service across Australia. A big thanks to Warwick McGrath from the Victorian Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, and also to Kate Lynch from the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment. And a big thanks once again to Dr Gordon DeBrow for hosting that conversation. Thanks again for giving up some of your time and attention to spend with us today. Uh, very grateful for that. Certainly also very grateful for the ongoing support of IPA and the great team at IPA who continues to put together such interesting topics and organising such interesting guests. So a big thanks to the team at IPA and also to the Australian Public Service Commission who have been 
great supporters of Work With Purpose since we began a couple of years ago. And also a big thanks to the team at Content Group for putting together the technical production to make the program happen. Now, if you do have time to go to your favourite podcast app and leave a rating or review, that would be much appreciated because it does help for the program to be found. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks very much for your time again, and we'll see you then. Bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 